Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us either in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We're just grateful that you are spending some time with us today. It's good to see you all here and thank you for coming. I know that uh, you, like me, uh, had our hearts broken this uh, past week with the shootings in Texas as uh, last Sunday, just like we're doing right now, people came to worship and a gunman walks into the First Baptist Church and, and, and kills 26 people. And we just, we really struggle with, with how someone could do that. And I'm sure that you're like me or have been in prayer for the victims and for their families, for that community, for that church. And so uh, we continue to lift them up in prayer. And, you know, it's sad that in our world that, that uh, we, we can feel unsafe to come to even church. And so just want to let you know that security, safety is very important to us here. And uh, while we're here in the theater, we hire an off-duty police officer from Charlotte-Mecklenburg, and, and he's with us uh, all the time that we're here. Uh, his name's JJ. Love for you to tell him thank you uh, when you see him uh, doing his stuff around the lobby and out in the parking lot. And so, again, we take safety very seriously. We have a child safety policy called Safe Sanctuaries that we train all of the, our volunteers who serve uh, and our staff with our children and our children's ministry areas and explorers ministry. So we're trying to do everything that we can uh, to keep people safe. And so we just would invite you that if you don't feel safe or if you see something that makes you feel uncomfortable or suspicious, then come tell me or staff member or one of our ushers or greeters, they wear the yellow lanyards. Uh, and so the more sets of eyes, the better. So we, we want to be a safe place emotionally, spiritually, physically to, to be here. But there's no way we can guarantee 100% safety. And so I just want to thank you for having the courage to come to church today. That we're not going to sit at home and live in fear that bad things are happening in the world. But we're going to come and we're going to worship God. And, and no one's going to stop us from doing that. So my hat's off to you. And I thank you for being here. Uh, and we'll continue to think and pray and do all that we can uh, to be a safe congregation uh, and pray for a safe nation. Uh, before we jump in, let me just invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer. That I would deliver God's word today. That we would all hear it and allow Jesus' story to become part of our story. Let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I graduated from Divinity School and was ordained as a pastor, uh, the bishop assigned me to my first church. It was a rural church in Hudson, North Carolina, H-U-D-S-O-N, even though the locals pronounced it Hudson, uh, kind of like a quarterback, Hut, Hut, Hut. And uh, it was near Hickory, North Carolina, if you know where Hickory is. And so rural area, had a lot of fun, uh, very faithful church, loved them. Uh, it was a great place for me to begin in ministry. And uh, one of my favorite groups in the church was a group of retired ladies who came together once a week in the church, uh, down in the church fellowship hall, where they quilted, they made quilts, and they did that for social interaction with each other. They did that to give to people in our church, to give to people in the community. Uh, they gave me some, it's, you know, some of my prized possessions. Just a real good time getting to know these ladies. They had a lot of wisdom, and it was fun hanging out with them. They, they were also sure to tell me what, you know, when things weren't going right in the church, how they could uh, help me change those to make those go a little bit better. And so uh, that was a good way for me to learn lots of stuff. And so... I remember sitting with the quilting ladies one day and I, I told them that, you know, I always wanted to ride a motorcycle, but I never got around to, to buying one. And so one of them uh, chimed in and her name was Estelle and she's like, well, what's stopping you? 
She's like, this is the best time in your life to buy a motorcycle. You're single, you're in your mid-20s, you're not married, and you don't have children. If you're ever going to buy a motorcycle, this is the time to buy a motorcycle. I'm like, wow, Estelle, that, that's really encouraging. You know, I, I didn't see the quilting group of ladies encouraging me to buy a motorcycle, but they were. So, uh, you know, I've been praying for a sign from God. If you, if you want me to have a motorcycle, God, give me a, a clear sign. And, and who knew it'd be through the quilting ladies. So, uh, so I went home and thought about that, prayed about that. And so I talked to a couple guys in the church that rode bikes and they taught me how to ride and I uh, went and took the safety class at the community college that you can take. And so then I went and I bought a Harley Davidson, right? If you're going to buy a motorcycle, you got to go with a Harley. So I bought a Harley Davidson motorcycle and I loved it. I rode that thing everywhere. I rode it through the rural towns and all the, the curvy roads and all that stuff through North Carolina. And I, I hung on that motorcycle for a long time. And uh, even when I got married, Laura and I got married, uh, after we got married, we changed out of our wedding gear uh, into, you know, going away kind of gear. And uh, we rode off on my Harley. We've got a picture of that can show you. And uh, yeah, that's back when I was young. And so uh, my wife still looks the same. I don't know how that works, but uh, she's beautiful always. And we just had a great time, you know, leaving from our wedding in that way. And of course, as soon as we, we drive off, uh, God, God blesses us and opens up the heavens and it pours down rain. And so <laughs> that, was, uh, that was awesome. And we're still going strong. So it's awesome. Uh, and so I held on that motorcycle for years. Uh, until my son Luke was born, my first my first child Luke was born, and uh, and when you when you have first child, some priorities shift, right? Financial priorities shift, safety priorities shift. It's not just me anymore that I'm looking out for, and it's not just me and Laura anymore. And so, uh, I begrudgingly, uh, but also at the same time, happily sold my Harley Davidson motorcycle, which I missed, but it was the right decision for me because, you know. When you buy something like a motorcycle or you have a hobby or you have something that, that you purchase that, that costs a lot of money, uh, it doesn't just stop there. Right? I had to make motorcycle payments, had to make insurance payments on my motorcycle. When you sell you the motorcycle, they don't give you all the chrome that you want. So you have to buy chrome handlebars and chrome pipe covers and you got to get all the leather jacket and boots and all, I mean, just it, a hobby can, can get you into debt pretty quickly. And so... Um, so I enjoyed the motorcycle while I had it. It was awesome. But then I had, had to shift some priorities. Uh, and when I first had the motorcycle, you know, I was fresh out of school. It was just me. And uh, the motorcycle was a luxury for me. It was not my major mode of transport. It could have been and saved me a lot of gas money because they're great on gas. But uh, I drove a car, which I had a car loan for. I had student debt from going to, to college and then to, to graduate school, to divinity school. And so I had those debts. Now I had a motorcycle debt, right? So I offset that by eating a lot of peanut butter sandwiches and hot dogs. And it was just one of me. And so you're trying to make the money work. So I, I did have a dilemma. How much money am I going to give to God through my church that I'm serving as a pastor? Because right? I had these other things that seemed to be priorities. And I had to decide what was I going to give to God financially, I was raised as a Christian and I was raised as the son of a pastor. My dad's a retired Methodist pastor. Uh, and we always were taught that we were supposed to give God 10% of our income. First thing we get, we give God 10% of our income, our family tithe. Right? That's what a tithe is. We're going to talk about what that means in the Bible in just a minute. But So that, that was how I was raised. I always gave 10% to the church. Uh, and so I'm like, why should I stop now? Right? And so I, I, God's always honored me. He's always given me everything that I need, not everything that I want. Right? And so I, I think as a personal relationship with God, I need to keep honoring that. 
Uh, but now I'm a pastor of a church. And, you know, I, I studied about churches. I served in churches. I, I'd seen things. I've been to seminars. And they all, you know, all, all of them had something in common that said, as the pastor leads, then so does the church follow, right? So if the pastor and the staff of a church and the key lay leaders, the, the church council, the Sunday school class leaders, the small group leaders, as they lead, then the rest of the church follows, right? And so if, if we're giving generously to God, then usually the church follows and, and we have money to do ministry. But I've seen pastors who don't give money to the church and, and staff and, and lay leaders who don't give money to the church and, and the church struggles financially and they don't have money to, to do the ministries that they believe God's calling them to do. And here's the interesting part is nobody knows what anybody's giving with, except for the handful of people who count the money and, and oversee that. So, so some way, somehow, God honors the, the, the spirit of generosity or God doesn't honor the spirit that, that's not generous. Right? And so, so it was a no-brainer for me as a pastor. I've got to give to God generously as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and also as a leader of this church. And so uh, three debts to manage, but I didn't skimp on giving to God. Right? So today I, we're talking about why we give to God. Why, why we give to God our time, our talents and abilities, and why do we give our treasure? Why do we give to God our money. And you know, the church gets a bad rap for, oh man, the church just talks about money all the time. It's all money. We want money, 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 money. I don't believe the church talks about money all the time, but we do talk about money. And so today I just, I'd encourage you to listen to what we have to say and, and make up your own mind, right? You can give what you want to give. No one's going to make you give to the church or anything else, right? It's up to all of us individually to do that. But let's think about, does God ask us to give? If God asks us to give, where do we give that? How much does God want from us? And why do we need to give to God, right? Does God need our money? What, is, what does that even look like? So let's think about that and let's start in the Bible. Okay, so in the Old Testament, right, from the books all the way that begin in the book of Genesis, all the way to the last book of, of Malachi, that's a prophet, a spokesperson for God. There seems to be a common kind of theme about giving to God. And that's anchored around what I mentioned earlier, a tithe, 10% of what we have to give to God. And it starts way back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where a man named Abraham, who's going to be the father of the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation to bless the entire world, ultimately through the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Abraham gives a tenth of all that he has to a priest of God named Melchizedek, right? That's, that's quite a name if you want a unique name for your child. There you go, Melchizedek, right? So Abraham this father of the nation of Israel from the very beginning sets off and he's tithing to God through this priest Melchizedek. His grandson Jacob, who's going to be renamed Israel, he's going to be, again, one of the ancestors of the people of Israel, the chosen nation of God to bless the entire world, ultimately through Jesus Christ, God's son. Jacob says to God, I I'm going to give you 10% as well. Then along comes Moses, uh, the lawgiver, right? The, we, we've heard of 10 commandments in the Old Testament. There are actually 613 commandments. And so Moses is the one that God speaks those commandments to. He writes them down. He gives them to the people of Israel. In those 613 commands, there's commands about what to give to God, right? And it's the tithe. We give 10%, right? So to give 10% of, of if you're a farmer, you give 10% of your crop, right? If you raised animals, you give 10% of your animals. If, if you had wine, if you had, if you had oil, right? You to give 10% of God 
through the, the, the public religious institution of the tabernacle that became the temple, this was the church of the day. And so that is consistent across thousands of years, across all the many writers of the Old Testament. It seems that that 10% is that tithe number. And, it, and, and they use the word or the phrase first fruits, right? So if, if you're the farmer, you give the first of your crop to God. If you're an animal kind of person, you're right, you're raising the animals, uh, you give the first lamb, the first cow, whatever it is, you give that to God because God doesn't want the leftovers. God wants our heart, our first and our best. And in some places, it says that, that, that 10% happened, but every seven years or so, you, you gave another 10% and sometimes a third 10%. So even 20%, 30%. Right, but it seems to be that that 10% is some kind of a generous or a sacrificial number that God has given to us, all the way from the first book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament. So that's our history, right? But we're not Old Testament people, we're New Testament people. God came and, and, and He takes those laws and he, he does something kind of new and exciting with them. So let's see what the New Testament has to say, specifically with Jesus, right? The Son of God, God Himself. And so Jesus hangs out with uh, a lot of people in the New Testament, uh, and he's seen several times talking to the Pharisees, these religious leaders uh, of the day, and, and he commends them. He says, you guys are tithers, and then that's great. You should be tithers. And so he commends them for tithing all the stuff that they're supposed to be tithing, but they're not perfect. And, and he says, I, I wish that you also would be merciful to people, that you would also love people, right? You follow the law exactly, but you sometimes miss the point. And so so Jesus does talk about the tithe. He does support that, that they're tithing. Uh, but as, as Jesus, uh, as he does sometimes, uh, he takes what's in the Old Testament and he can make it harder for us. Okay? So Jesus comes, and, he, and at first it looks like he makes it easier. Right? He takes the 613 commands and he boils them down to two. All right, he says, all right, so there's 613 commands. This is what they really mean, right? I want you to remember two things. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? To love God with everything that we have and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So those, those are the top two commands, right? So there are a lot of the 613 commands we don't keep, right? We don't sacrifice animals. We don't do that sort of thing. They had, they had rules about not mixing different types of clothing together, right? We don't, we don't have to follow those. And so we might be thinking, well, you know, Jesus took away 611 commands and most of those or a lot of those had to do with money. Hey, we're, we're free and clean now. We can forget about the tithe, right? And, and, and then Jesus gives another commandment. He says, right, I give you a new commandment. To love people as I have loved you, right? And if you remember, Jesus gave his life for us. And so he's like, I want you to be as self-sacrificing to other people just as I've been self-sacrificing to you. So, so the question is, well, is the tithe gone? Do we have to not worry about giving God any more money, right? He, he boiled it down to two, then he gave us one major command, right? So what is Jesus' deal with money? So let's look and see a couple of passages about Jesus' life that we can learn about. There's one young man, he was rich and he was young and he was a ruler and he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? I want to go to heaven. I want to have eternal life. What must I do? And Jesus says, keep the commands, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. He's like, yeah, he's like, Jesus, man, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, right? And then Jesus says, but there's one more thing. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 22, he says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, 
This is a Jewish person, a religious person following the, the law of the Old Testament. And he hears this, he's probably like, but Jesus, what about the 10%? I like that a little bit better than the 100%, right? So again, Jesus usually takes the Old Testament, he makes it harder, right? You've heard it said that adultery is wrong. He says, but I say to you, if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? So Jesus has a way of ramping things up. And, and I don't think he says to us, to all of us, to give 100% of what we have to God, right? But this guy, it was his issue. He loved money. He loved stuff. It was his issue. It was what was standing between him and God. And so Jesus said, do you love me or your money more? Right? And if you want to follow me, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then we see Jesus again in Luke's gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw rich people putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So this is like the national church and people are coming and they're giving their tithes, they're giving their offerings, uh, which is good. It's awesome. It's going to go and do a lot of good things for the community, right? We give to be a part of something bigger than who we are. That's what we talked about last week. Jesus also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So those those wealthy gifts were important, and and they matter, but they weren't as generous, they weren't as much as a sacrifice as this widow who has no way of making money. She has no husband to make money for her. She's at the mercy of the community, at the mercy of God. She loves God so much and trusts God so much, she gives everything that she has. And so for Jesus, he seems to take the Old Testament and ramp it up into saying, you know what's important is that we are generous with our giving to God and that we give sacrificially to God. That widow's going to miss those two coins much more than those who gave out of their wealth because they still have a lot to take care of themselves with. So that's Jesus. So now Paul, he's a guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He founded all these churches. He sent a lot of letters to them. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever gives generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, right? It's up to us what we give. It's what's in our heart that we want to give, not reluctantly. Or under compulsion, God's not twisting our arm. He doesn't want us to give if we're not happy about it, right? For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, that last verse is important. When we trust God and we give God uh, generously, it says, in all things at all times, we will have what we need that God will provide for us. Not everything that we want, but everything that we need. And so... Paul and Jesus are really on the generous train, right? They're on the sacrificial giving train kind of a thing. So so they take the New Testament. They don't throw it out, right? They take it to new levels, okay? So they're looking for sacrificial giving. They're looking for generous giving. I think a question that we have, I have, is like, well, if you're giving to God, where do you give to God, right? Because we we don't see Jesus in the flesh like, like they did. So where do we give to God? And you know, does that have to be through the church? Can we give to like, you know, other charities and or, you know, to our local schools? I mean, what does that look like? What does it mean to give to God? So let's, let's think about that. So Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Again, this is a prophet, a spokesperson for God. Chapter three, this is what uh, God had, had said to Malachi, this prophet, and he's, he's writing it for us. And God says, will a mere mortal, will a human being rob God? 
yet you rob me. But you ask, how are you robbing you? How are you robbing God? I don't want to rob you, God. That's not my goal. What's going on? God says in tithes and offerings, right? 10% and anything above 10% is an offering. You are under a curse, your whole nation, the nation of Israel, because you were robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, right? To the temple, right? To, to the, the public worship place so that we can take that and do good with that in our community. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't open the uh, floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be room enough, not be room enough to share it, right? So God, this is the only place in, like, in the Bible that God says, test me, right? Test me with your money. Test me with your giving. He's like, give it to me through, in quote, unquote, the, their local version of the church, right? So Paul, in the New Testament, uh, takes up a collection from churches to give to other Christians, right, who are in church. Jesus made the comment about the woman who was giving to God through the temple, right, their version of church. So giving to the church is important, right? Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel, right? So when you give to the church... I have full disclaimer. You guys are paying my salary. You're paying Kevin's and Nancy's and, and all of us who are on staff. And, and we appreciate that. You're probably thinking, that's Pastor Kyle's favorite verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. It's not. It's top 10, okay? But, uh, right, uh, right, so we can't do ministry unless we're all giving to the church. So giving to the church is a very important way to give to God. But Jesus also said what to the rich young ruler? Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say flowing through me. He didn't say flowing through the church, right? And so right, if we're supporting a child in Africa, we're supporting our local school, if we're giving back to God, that, that can be important. But I don't think it's an either or. I think it can be a both and, right? That God calls us to be generous, right? So I, th- I think we give because God asks us to give, right? In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we give because God asks us to give. And that, that giving is generous giving, and it's sacrificial giving, right? That's something between us and God, right? But it seems to be somewhere between 10% and 100%, right? So what's a sacrifice for you? What's a sacrifice for me, right? What's a need? What's a want? What does that look like, right? To give to God through the church, to support the ministries together. We can be a part of something bigger than who we are, to help people wherever we come into contact with them that are in need, right? To love people as God has loved us, right? It comes back to our God, ask us to give. We give because God asks us to give, right? So here's a question for you. Why do we need to give to God? Does God need our money? Absolutely not, right? God doesn't need money. God can do whatever God wants. God can make anything that he wants. If Jesus wanted to, when he was on the earth and he was doing his ministry, he could have created a, a, a Cadillac, uh, you know, Escalade and stroll through the streets of Jerusalem, right? Just cruising around there. He could have had a big old necklace that had a gold JC on it. Jesus Christ, right? You know, instead of wearing dirty old sandals, he could have had some really cool looking sandals that had the Nike swoosh on them, right? Air Jesus, right? The Jerusalem cruisers, right? Jesus could have anything that he wants, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our, our, our giving because he needs it, right? So if God doesn't need us to give, why does he ask us to give? I think he asks us to give because somehow it's good for us to give. 
There's something about us giving to God that's good for us. So what could that be? Let's, let's think about that together. I want to share some statistics with you. And I know that sounds really exciting and fun today. I'm so glad I came to church to hear some statistics. And uh, some of these first ones are just going to be kind of like, whoa, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've heard that just kind of gloss over our eyes. And, you know, not sure how we're going to really take this. But, li- but just listen to how this might be affecting you in your life. Right. When we think about debt in our country. The average household, some, you know, somebody that owes an ongoing rolling balance of credit card debt, right? a balance carrying credit card debt, the average person who has a credit card bill that's due continually month after month, the average balance is $16,048. So if you're not paying off your credit card bills, odds are you're somewhere in the, in the debt in the range of $16,000 and you're paying about almost 14% interest on that. So good luck in getting out of that, right? I mean, that, that's that the trap we can't get out of. There's $764 billion worth of credit card debt in our nation. There's $8.6 trillion of debt of mortgages in our nation. There's $1.16 trillion debt in car loans. 43 million people are overdue because of medical debt, which is sad. Right? Medical stuff costs a lot, but we're also spending a lot of money elsewhere, right? Our national debt right now is $20 trillion. I can't, what is a trillion dollars? 20, and that's Democrats, that's Republicans, that's independents, that's everybody in between, that's all of us, right? Would it be a fair thing to say in our nation, we spend more than we make? We spend more than we make. We owe a trillion dollars to Japan. We owe a trillion dollars to China. We owe $103 billion to Russia. So let's talk about savings. And this is where it really hit me because this is, it hits the road, right? So almost 50% of Americans, that's one out of two of us sitting in here today right now, could not afford an emergency expense of $500 or more. If we had an emergency come up, something happened to our car, something happens to us medically, something happens to our child, half of us could not pay $500 or more for that expense. Americans, 26% of us, one out of four, have absolutely zero dollars in savings. So one out of four of us have zero dollars in savings. 36%, that's one out of three of us, have zero retirement savings. One out of three of us have zero retirement savings. Of people aged 50 to 64, those who are getting ready to retire the soonest, one out of four of us has zero in the bank to retire, and we're getting ready to retire. The average bank balance in someone's checking account in America is $4,436. That's not a lot of money in America. 59% of Americans' number one fear is running out of money. So we have a lot of debt. And we have no savings. How do we sleep at night? Here's another stat for us. You know the mini warehouse storage industry? You know those little things you can rent and put your boxes in and all that kind of stuff? Some of it's air-conditioned, some of it's not. Right? That is a $37.5 billion industry. So... We're in major debt. We don't. We spend more money than we have. We have no savings, no emergency savings. We have no retirement savings. And at the same time, we're running out of room in our houses to put stuff. And so we have to go into debt to take out some uh, credit debt to rent these little warehouses because we got all this stuff, right? So brothers and sisters, I think what's going on is, is we've bought into a lie. We've bought into a lie that more stuff's going to make us happy. And the more that we buy, the happier we'll be, right? 
But, but, but when are we happy, right? right? How many of us are sitting here right now, and we're scared to death just to leave out of here because we don't know how we're going to pay off our debt, right? We, we just keep amassing debt. We don't know how we're going to make it. We don't know how we're going to retire. We don't know how we're going to do anything, right? We're just, we're scared to death. And at the same time, we're probably thinking, I wish he'd hurry up and shut up. I got to go to the mall and buy something, right? Right? We might be on our phones right now thinking, no, I'm following the scripture. No, on eBay, I just won an, an auction, right? You know, right? Man, man, veterans that just stood up, did, did you serve our country and make this a free place so that we could be slaves to debt? The people who served in the military who've died for us, we, we just celebrated you know, Memorial Day, we're doing Veterans Day today. Did those people die so we could have a free country so we could be slaves to debt? It seems like the things that, that we love that we want more of, that we think we're going to be happy to get more and more and more, leave us more and more in debt, less savings, more stuff, totally more unhappy. Is that the American dream that we're living? I don't think it is. But we keep doing it, and all of us are infected by that some way. The reason I think, one reason that I think God asked us to give is because God knows that greed is dangerous. God asks us to give because God knows that greed is very dangerous. I want to jump back to the Bible. Jesus says this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. He's talking about a, a parable. It's a story where um, this sower's thrown some seed out on the ground and he's talking about that's how new believers are and he says the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries riches and pleasures and, and they do not mature right our greed chokes us away it chokes the kingdom of God out of us then Jesus says in Luke 12 watch out be on guard against all kinds of greed life does not uh, consist in an abundance of possessions Jesus says greed is dangerous you're not going to be satisfied by getting stuff, right? So Jesus asks us to give because greed is dangerous. Jesus also asks us to give because he wants to be the first love of our life, right? He wants to be the first love of our life. He says in Luke 12, Do not be afraid, little flock. He's talking to his 12 disciples. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we want to know what we love the most in life, all we have to do is look two places. Look at our bank accounts and look at our calendars. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, that's what we love. Right, so if we've bought a really nice big house and we have empty rooms that we don't use and it's costing a lot of money to, to provide that, at the same time we have children, we have grandchildren, uh, and we don't have anything in their college savings accounts, you know what that tells me? We might. We might just love our house, our bigger house with rooms we don't even have stuff or don't even go into. We might love our houses more than we love our children's education. How we spend our money tells us what we love, right? We say we love God, right? But if we're coming to church and we're not giving to God, right, or we're giving to God 20 bucks a week or something, which for some of us is a really big deal, but, but at the same time, if we're doing that and, and, and we're paying, what, 100, 150 bucks for cable television, then we've got Amazon, we've got Hulu, we've got Netflix, we've got movies, right? I love you, God. I love you the most in the world, but, but, but not more than my entertainment, right? Where our money is says what we love the most, right? Where our money is says what we love the most, no one can serve two masters, Luke 16. Either you'll uh, love the... 
hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Excuse me. So God's saying, I want you to love me first. How do I love you, God, with my money? Well, you you give sacrificially. You give generously, all right? Somewhere between 10, somewhere between 100%, right? The average Christian gift to the church is 2%. Is 2% of our income a sacrificial gift to Christ? Is 2% of our income a generous gift to Jesus? God says, I want you to give because I want to be your first love. God also asks us to give. God also asks us to give to increase our faith. What does that mean? What is our faith? Our faith is confidence that God is who God says he is and God will do what God says he will do. Our faith means confidence that God is who God says he is and God will keep his promises. God will do what he says he will do. So what does God say he will do? God says this in Luke's gospel, chapter 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Right? So Jesus is saying, he's talking to poor people, specifically physically poor people when he's talking about this. He's like, I know that you're poor. You don't, you don't, you're worried about what you're going to eat. You're worried about what you're going to wear. He's like, don't worry about that. You seek me, you sell out to me, and I'll make sure that you're taken care of, right? Your basic necessities, right? So God asks us to give so that it will increase our faith. God, it's a sacrifice for me to give you 10%. It's a sacrifice for me to give you 15%. It's a sacrifice to give you 20%, God. I'm going to miss that. And I don't know if I'm going to make that, make it without you. God says, trust me. I will make sure that your needs are met, right? Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to give us everything we want on Amazon or eBay or at the South Park Mall, right? God's not going to honor, you know, unwise decisions about money. God's going to say, right, if you are working an honest job, if you can and you're doing that and and you're spending money on what you need rather than on everything that you want, then, then trust me, right? Seek me first with your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? Your time, talent, treasures. Seek me and I'll take care of you, right? That, that means we have, to, we have to take care of our money that God gives us to be good stewards of it. That means we have to budget it, right? Like the B word, not the one that rhymes with itch, right? But the one that rhymes with fudge, right? Budget, right? God, do we trust God? So we had hype night last Sunday night. It's our uh, sharing student ministry. We do once a month. Uh, we have this big worship service for our students, and we have a bunch of pizza before then. It's, it's really amped up. It's awesome. They, they hear some great music, and they, they worship God. They hear a great you know, message and all that kind of stuff. And so Kevin's vision has been to do that with other churches, and we're beginning to do that. We went to Light of Christ Church in Ballantyne last Sunday, and, and we've got two other churches going to join us in January. Y'all keep praying for that ministry. It's really awesome and cool. And, and Kevin gave this awesome message, and he invited one of his friends up who lives in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, and this guy's name is Jeremy, and he was from Virginia. He was working in the corporate world. He felt the call by God to, to, to go and be a, a minister to the homeless in Wilmington, North Carolina. He uprooted his wife and child and moved there. Now they have three girls. They live among homeless. They work in, in the homeless area, and they're supported by their church and their missionaries, and they're not making a lot of money. And he said, the other day I had a bill for $500. I didn't know how I was going to pay it. I prayed about it. He's like, I got a check in the mail from somebody unexpectedly for $500, which is, it's one of those stories you're like, yeah, is that really true? It's kind of cliche. I believe the guy. This is a man who believes and has faith that when he's faithful to what God asks him to do, God will provide for his needs. Well, how dare he take his three daughters and wife and live in poverty with the homeless? And how can that be? Because he loves Jesus. He trusts God and God is increasing his faith. 
brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't think God's calling all of us to, to go and live with the homeless in Wilmington. That's not the point. But, but do we trust God? Do we love God? Right? We give to God because God asks us to. God asks us to give because he knows that greed is dangerous. He wants to be our first love, and he wants to increase our faith. And God won't do anything, ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Right? One last scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're far from God because we do wrong things against God and people. And God wants to be in a right relationship with us. So he sent his son Jesus in the world to die on a cross and to come back to life. So that we can be in a right relationship with God. We can live life to the full on the earth. And we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. God set the example of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave. God gave. And so God says, I invite you to give because there's joy in giving. I ask you to give because there's danger and greed. I ask you to give because I want you to love me first. I ask you to give because I want to increase your faith. Brothers and sisters, God didn't intend for us to be slaves to debt and stuff that just doesn't make us happy. He gave us life to the full. And so in your life, what does generosity look like? In your life, what does sacrificial giving look like? We give because God asked us to. We give because God gave. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.